0: Welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Good morning, people of the Vine OC and other friends who have joined us today for our time of worship. I'm I'm Mike McNichols and I'm really glad to be with you today and and I hope that this week that God has been showing himself to you in in some new and fresh ways. Our first text of scripture for this morning is is a reading from the Old Testament from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 58. Is such the fast that I choose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down the head like a bulrush and to lie in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin? Then your light shall bring forth, break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help, and he will say, Here I am. If you remove the, the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness, and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to live in. In this text of scripture, we hear God speaking through the words of the prophet Isaiah. And that's why together we say, this is the word of the Lord. And our gospel reading this morning is, is from the book of Mark. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to him and said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what is it you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And They replied, we are able. Then Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. When the 10 heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers, lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you, you must be slave of all. For the son of man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. And this, my friends, is the gospel of the Lord. I remember as a young Christian, uh, along with a lot of my young Christian friends, uh, worrying a lot about figuring out God's will. Things like, like, how was I supposed to even know what it was? And what if I missed it? If it's God's will that I become a, a, a farmer or a, a neurosurgeon or a corporate executive or, heaven forbid, a pastor, or, or that I move to a certain city or marry a certain person, but, but then I fail to pick up all these secret clues along the way, then will God consign me to a, a life of sweeping up cigarette butts at Disneyland? You know, back when they actually allowed smoking at Disneyland. Well, I think perhaps too many of us have thought of God's will as a, as a preset plan for our lives that needs to be followed or else we, we get to suffer all the consequences of our error. But in the Bible, God's will is really more about what God wants, what God desires, what God intends, than it is about a predetermined, preset plan that, that always just perplexes his people and crushes them when they fail in their ignorance to find it. And and what we see in our text of scripture today are examples of what God has desired for his people. There are calls to all of us that are not reduced down to just the various choices that we need to make in everyday life. As important as those choices are, rather they are calls about the very character of God's people, a character that points the world toward what God ultimately desires and intends, and that is the healing, forgiving, reconciling, and renewing of the whole world. Our Isaiah text is a a real stunning corrective to the people of Israel who have demonstrated their ability to engage in religious disciplines, in this particular case, fasting, but without beneficial effect except to end up weighing the people down with hunger and to let sackcloth and ashes be the badges of of their devotion. But according to the prophet, fasting should not be reduced to a single day of piety, but rather expanded into a life that demonstrates God's justice and mercy. It's it's interesting to characterize acts of justice and mercy as a fast, isn't it? because when people typically fast, they, they take something out of their lives, something that they value for a period of time. Commonly, of course, during a fast, that would be food. But what is being removed when fasting is seen as intentionally engaging in justice and mercy? Well, it appears that God, speaking through the prophet, is calling the people to fast from themselves. Uh, You know, just a few verses back, God entertains the people's questions. They say, why do we fast but you do not see? Why humble ourselves but you do not notice? And God answers them and says, look, you serve your own interest on your fast day. God is calling his people to fast from self-interest and from caring only for themselves. Even in their time of exile, the people of Israel were being called to be a people of justice and mercy, a people who demonstrated the very character of God. When you read through the Bible, uh, especially the Old Testament, you you very quickly learn that this has been an ongoing problem for the people of God. As a people called to be a people for God and for the sake and blessing of the whole world, they have repeatedly turned their attention to the things that suited only them, thereby turning away from God's desires. That is what God wills. But if you think about it, this is really a common human problem, isn't it? In a way, self-interest seems natural to us, even on a primal level, because our personal survival and flourishing is quite important to us. And it's counterintuitive to redirect our concerns away from ourselves and toward others. Now, having said that though, we we, we do see people doing it with some frequency. We see them doing it through aid agencies and charities and the like. But for the people of God, Concern about others is to be more than just an occasional activity. It is to be characteristic of who we are as a people. And and we begin to lose that when we misconstrue God's calling with things like self-interest and power. And we see this on the verge of happening with Jesus' friends, especially with James and John. They come to Jesus with a request that reveals their desire for posture and power. Now, this story is also told in the Gospel of Matthew, and in Matthew's account, it's their mother who makes the request on the on behalf of her sons, James and John, which I'm imagining ended up being rather embarrassing for them over time. Well, James and John seem to think that Jesus coming into his glory had to do with some sort of, of regal or, or political power. And To have reserved seats at his right and left would be to have postured themselves in a circle of power that was very exclusive. And the other disciples are actually angry when they hear this request, possibly because they hadn't thought to ask for this favor for themselves. And Jesus' response is quite interesting. He quizzes them about joining him in, in drinking his cup and sharing in his baptism. And once again, they appear to misconstrue what he's talking about and they readily declare that they are ready to be his lieutenants, not a problem. But Jesus lets them down by claiming that such positions to his right and left are not his to grant. Now, some have said that what Jesus meant here is that it is God who will grant these cherished positions around Jesus. But the problem with that interpretation is that it still assumes that Jesus will will function as a typical earthly monarch, but that isn't who Jesus is, And, and he makes that clear when he says, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus shows that he understands how leadership works in their world. It's a function of power that is lorded over others. It's fueled by a a desperate quest for dominance and control. Uh, You see it in in the religious leaders of Israel and you certainly see it in the Romans who occupy Israel. And Jesus then looks at his friends and he says, but it is not so among you. Well, according to our gospels, it would be quite a while before the disciples had a better understanding about what Jesus had been telling them. In Mark's gospel, the the penny very likely dropped when the disciples saw Jesus dying on the cross. You see, Mark connects the dots for us at the end of the story as he describes Jesus' death and says, and with him, they crucified two bandits, one on his right, and one on his left. The positions to the right and left of Jesus were truly places where his suffering, the the drinking of the cup and the baptism of agony, where all of that would indeed be shared and it was shared that day by two bandits rather than by two ambitious young disciples. And the power to grant those places was in the hands of the Roman Empire, in in the person of Pontius Pilate. And the empire exerted its power on that day. Now, I imagine that the disciples were rather shaken by this realization that that to follow Jesus and to share in his glory was to enter into the inevitability of suffering and death. And, And that was a stark contrast to the way they formerly understood the nature of true power. It's also a stark contrast to the way that we commonly understand the nature of power. We see power demonstrated in all kinds of ways in our world. We see it through military conflicts, through oppression. We see it in, po- in political posturing. Uh, election years in our country have become less about proposals for proper and better governance and more about how to gain and how to retain power. We're surrounded with images and descriptions of power that probably do not surprise Jesus at all. And Jesus continues to speak to us when he says, but it is not so among you. Jesus' words are emphatic as though regardless of Of their misperceptions, the disciples were already a distinct body of people that were to reflect Jesus' character rather than that of the powers of the world. It's as though he was conferring upon them a new way of looking at their place in and response to the world around them. They were called to be servants, not holders of regal power and authority. Jesus calls his followers to be servants rather than seekers of power. You know, I have a very high appreciation for the vine's value of compassion for the poor, just to choose one. I like all the values, but I have a real high appreciation for this one. And we see this compassion demonstrated by people's involvement with things like like the shower and laundry ministry that Uh, that have managed to continue even during these difficult and challenging times. It's a very important way that the vine serves the city by serving the poor. But serving others, including care for the poor, is not restricted to organized events because such servanthood is our character as the people of God. It's our character as followers of Jesus. I mean, maybe all of us cannot be involved in in the Vine's organized compassion work all the time, but we can keep our eyes open toward the people around us. And so perhaps we should be asking ourselves in in these times, as in all times, who in our circle of awareness might need to be served in the name of Jesus? Now, some of you might be aware that... um, that I'm, I'm in a band that plays folk rock music, for lack of a better term, that I started playing with this band way back in January and I, I still do it. It's just kind of a fun thing that we do. But after the pandemic hit, we realized that the opportunity to actually perform anywhere was kind of eliminated. And so we came up with this idea of doing a series of neighborhood concerts by, by setting up in our, in our home driveways and, and just inviting our neighbors to come. And, and we've done three of these so far. I did two of them at my house. And anywhere from maybe 15 to 30 people show up and they bring their chairs, they sit in the shade, they sit in the street, they sit on sidewalks and they're masked in distance because we insist on that. And it's just been great fun. But it's been striking for me to hear people come up afterward to thank us for giving them opportunities to meet their neighbors, even meet neighbors they've never met before, and to break their sense of isolation. Truth be told, we originally thought that these performances were really all about us because we're musicians and we're a band and we want to play, but really they've turned out to be for the blessing of other people. And most Fridays at the end of the day, uh, I meet with two of my neighbors in my driveway. The driveway seem to factor very prominently in my life these days. And we've known each other for 20 plus years, but but during the pandemic, it's been important for some of them to just wanna be present to one another and just talk about whatever we wanna talk about. And we do that, and sometimes we talk about God, and not everybody in our little trio is a follower of Jesus. You know, it is such a simple thing to do, and it rescues us from the isolation that can so easily swallow us up. And I'm also reminded how these little, simple connections uh, help bring people out of themselves and into relationship with others. There's just a sense in which we are serving one another just by our willingness to be present to one another. You know, who, who in our neighborhoods or our families or our social circle, circles or our, or our workplaces is God calling us to serve? In such a broken time as this, how is God calling us as he called the ancient people of Israel to be repairers of the breach, restorers of the streets to live in? I even think about this with our, our little picnics that we do at the second and fourth Saturdays of the month, that uh, it's a wonderful place for us to come and serve one another, to bless one another. What an opportunity that is. Well, as I've said before, we we are a called people. But we aren't called to the exclusion of others, but for the sake and the blessing of others. That is what God desires. That is what he wills. And in serving those around us, we offer a sign of the full reconciliation of the world that God ultimately intends in the fulfillment of his kingdom. You see, every act of love and service and compassion is a deposit on the fullness of the kingdom that is yet to come. And my friends, we are ambassadors. We are emissaries of that kingdom. And so may such service, such blessing, be so among us. And you know, we recognize that like the ancient people of Isaiah's day, and like Jesus' disciples, we, we all sometimes lose our way as God's people. We know that. And the way that Christians have always addressed that lostness, that veering from the path, so to speak, is to just speak the truth about themselves to God. A truth that God already knows. This kind of truth-telling is actually called confession. And the Bible calls us to this practice as in the letter that's called 1 John, where it reads, if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So today, together, we speak these words about ourselves in full confidence that we can trust God's ongoing and loving forgiveness. God, our Father, we confess that we have heard your voice in prayer, yet plugged our ears. We have seen your face in the pages, but turned away. We have felt your touch through the hands of another and still pulled away. Please forgive us. Amen. And let's just pause for a moment in silent reflection. And now, may the God of love and power forgive you and free you from your sins, heal and strengthen you by his Spirit, and raise you to new life in Christ our Lord.